They are rowdy, and that's a good, good thing. Okay, everyone, if you don't mind, open up your scriptures to Mark chapter 8. Now go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 22, and, um, and we're going to get there. This uh, week will actually end, that we're coming to an end of a sermon series. Uh, we've been here for 11 weeks where we have taken the book of Mark and we've chopped it in half. And so in the fall, we have, we've gone through the first eight chapters of the book of Mark. And uh, later on this spring, we'll pick up the other eight chapters. And so just know that we're coming to a conclusion here. And so if we're going to come to a close, uh, we're going to just kind of make some summary statements. And we're going to try to wrap some things up. We're going to try to put a bow on some things. So this is where we're at. This is where we're at. We're here in, in Mark chapter 8. But before we jump into the text, I want to ask a question. How exactly are trips made? How do you come to the, to, to the realization that you are going to make a trip or you are going to go somewhere? Let's just say a vacation, for instance, or a trip of a lifetime, or maybe a missions trip. Like, how exactly do those trips, do those journeys come into being? They don't just drop out of the ceiling like rain from the sky. They actually have some kind of semblance or some kind of rhythm to them. So that's kind of where we're going because we're coming to an end of a journey. We're coming to the end of a trip through the first eight chapters of Mark. We're really just asking the question to ourselves, how exactly are trips, well, how do they come into being? Well, this week I turned 41. Everybody gasp. Oh, you look 29 there, sir. That's what you should say. And so with 41, you come to the end of your 40th year, right? And it was an amazing year. I mean, an amazing year. And so two years ago, well, we started having this conversation. What would it look like to take a trip of a lifetime? And so me and uh, we had five friends, um, uh, there's five of us that have got together and we said, we want to do something amazing and we want to celebrate life. And we also want to do something so epic, so it's like epic proportions that we will be talking about this trip or we will be talking about these memories for the next 40 years. So halfway in my life, you know, if I make it to 80, right? But so at 40 years, we're going to do something so amazing that we're going to be talking about this for the next 40 years. And so there's five of us. We ended up in the High Sierras hiking an unbelievable trail, seeing some unbelievable scenery and those types of things. It was really, really great. But what was the motivation for five guys to take off work for 12 days, to leave their jobs, to leave their families and those types of things, to do those, that type of thing. There had to be some kind of motivation there. There had to be something that would like get into our bones or some kind of idea to propel us. And so that's where inspiration, before you actually get to a trip or the process of it or the direction or the logistics, there has to be something that will compel you. No trip or no journey, no adventure happens without some kind of compulsion, some kind of inspiration. And so for us, it was simply that little statement that we want to do something that we will be talking about for the next 40 years. And so if you're around me, I just drop little nuggets every once in a while. Well, there was this one time that I was up climbing Half Dome, and it was amazing. And it was and so, and so I'll just kind of just start muttering about these little trips or these side trips or these the scenery or this these vistas or this waterfall or the way that real water tastes coming out of a glacier. 
Have you ever done that? It's amazing, right? I mean, so these are the types of things that you're like, yeah, I kind of want to do something like that, right? Right? And so there has to be some kind of inspiration for all trips. But there also has to be a process. So it's not, it just can't stay in inspiration world. We can't just all be dreamers. We're just all coming up with good ideas. They actually have to, like, you have to be propelled not just by something, but towards something. So all trips, all journeys, all adventures have to have some kind of direction or some kind of process. Think about a river. A river is not a river unless it has banks. And so it directs the way the current should go. A river without banks is just the delta, right? Ask Nicole, who's lived in Mississippi, or us who lived in, spent time in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. The delta is not very nice. We need banks. Those are good things. So there's inspiration. There's a process. But there also is a goal. There's an aim. There's something that you want to say, we did that. And so as we come to an end, we want to come back to a, a passage like we have here. And we want to be critical of inspiration. And we want to understand the process, but we also need to understand that there's an aim. Jesus is doing something on purpose. And he really wants us to understand these types of things. And so inspiration and direction or process and the goal really does have to be where we are going. This is the last week of a journey where we have said almost every single week from on stage, and you've seen in your weekly inbox this idea, this, this, this graphic of a brain, right? It's a cool graphic, but it's supposed to catch your attention because every single week we've said it is our goal for all of us to begin to reset our minds on the things of God, not the things of man. That has been the journey for you and I to start changing our minds, to see our minds changed when we are fixated on the person and work of Jesus. But so often our minds start running away from us and our imagination gets away from us and we look at something other than Jesus. And so every week we've tried to get you back to get all of our attention back to Jesus on purpose. Week in and week out, there's been a comparison. These are the things of God and these are the things of man. Remember the very first week, we see that God the Father is speaking from heaven. Like he is validating Jesus and we said, that are, those are the things of God. What God says over you. Son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so these are the things that we hear from God. But the things of man, there are other voices in your life that speak over you. That you think are more true of that voice than this voice. And so if someone calls you a name in high school. That becomes your identity more than what God has said over you. And on and on. All the way, you can just move on to, to Will's message about the, the table. There's a table of Herod, which is full of just desserts and luxury and dancing and good food. And there's the table of Jesus that looks like it's just morsels of bread and fish. And yet it's extravagant in its own ways. Because it feeds thousands upon thousands and there's leftovers. And so when we get swayed by the things of man, don't, don't forget that what looks like excess will actually, actually, actually stop 
But the things of God, the things of Jesus, will not just satisfy, but they're over and abundant and will last. Jesus' crumbs, even the morsels that Jesus gives away, are long-lasting. And so there's been this comparison and contrast over and over and over throughout this book of Mark. As religious people, we try to look clean. And we try to look like we're buttoned up and there's nothing wrong with us. And if there's something wrong with us, we try to correct it right away. And so as religious people, we try to look clean and be around clean people. So much so that we have defined what clean is and what defiled is. And we've walked toward cleanliness and away from what we have uh, defined as defilement. Jesus comes in, he says, there's nothing and nobody that can define what clean or unclean is. And we see Jesus, rather than getting cleaned up, actually on purpose, becoming, quote, defiled in the sense of the word. He is touching lepers. He is walking and dining with sinners and tax collectors. He's touching ladies with hemorrhages. He's touching the, dem- the demonic. He's walking toward a Syrophoenician woman, which no rabbi would ever come close. Instead, that they would veil themselves and wrap themselves to try to protect themselves from people like this. And yet Jesus is walking toward them. There's been a comparison and contrast every single week. These are the things that God is about. And these are the things that of man. And hopefully your heart has been stirred over and over and over to consider Jesus. To consider that the things of God, even though they're hard and maybe a little bit backwards in how we would define things, truly are the things that give us life. What we've seen is we've seen Jesus blaze a trail, blaze a journey to set forth a journey for us and invite us over and over and over to invite us to follow me, Jesus says. He's simply about direction. So to set your mind on the things of God at this point for eight chapters is simply about a direction to follow Jesus. And he's just saying, come on, let's go. So Jesus is blazing a trail. And so far, he's really not asked much of his followers. He's not asked much of either the crowds or even the religious people or even disciples, right? As far as like a moral mandate. The only moral mandate so far is just to follow me. Just keep on following. Let's go on a trip together. Let's go on this journey. Just keep on coming because I've got great things to show you. And I'm going to try to redefine everything that is undefined in your life. And so as we walk through this this passage this morning, as we conclude, we too need to have inspiration And hopefully we will be inspired by this little bitty passage that has caught my heart. It's obscure, but it's remarkable. So we too need to to be inspired. We too need to understand that there is a process and we need to understand the goal. We too need to be inspired. We need to understand that Jesus is actually taking us someplace and that there really is a goal at the end of this journey. And so let's jump in. Let's jump into understanding just this inspiration or this beauty of, of, of a passage like this. So uh, you have it in your worship guide. We're going to start in um, chapter 22, or not chapter, verse 22 in chapter 8. And they came to Bethsaida. This is verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch, uh, begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. 
And when he came, uh, when he had, uh, and, and when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, do you see anything? Let me read it one more time. And they came to Bethsaida, just for context. There's a town. There's some people in the community that brought a blind man. So there's a man who's blind, he cannot see. Bring him, a blind man, to Jesus. And they beg him, just touch him. Just touch him. And they took the blind man. So Jesus is now taking the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. He walks away. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid um, his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? We'll pick up the rest of the story. But here we have Jesus spitting on someone. It really is remarkable. And so it's uh, time and time again, we see that uh, oftentimes our faith is connected to community. This is not the point of the day, but because we love community around here, let's not forget that uh, community plays a major part in people's lives and community plays a major part of your faith journey. So just the fact that there's a townspeople, there are people who care about this blind man, possibly more than he cares for himself is remarkable. We have to have a heart for other people. And sometimes our faith rubs off on other people so that their faith is actually dependent on our faith. We saw it with a paralyzed man. There's four friends that bring someone to Jesus. And Jesus looks to the friends and says, it is because of your faith that you're gonna be healed. That's remarkable. Do you remember Jairus? Jairus is walking along, trusting Jesus. And there's the faith of the woman with the hemorrhage. And Jesus is looking and said, do you see her faith? This is the type of faith that you need right now. And here in the same way, we see there's a townspeople. There's a community of people that are actually bringing this blind man to Jesus. That's not the point of the story, but the fact that friendship matters. I was able to put my eyes on this type of friendship this last week, where I saw friendship, someone stick out his neck for another friend. There's nothing like it. And so... Let's be about our own personal journey. Yes, amen. But let's not forget that there's other people that need our faith and need our prayers and need us and need our begging to Jesus. Remember, the blind man, he hadn't said a thing. It's the people who are begging Jesus to touch him. And so the mission statement here is disciples making disciples. Yes, your personal journey with Jesus is important, but it's got to have an effect on others. We have to be in, begin to motivate ourselves to, to, to see this. All right, so the first thing that we see as far as being inspired, though, really comes a little bit later. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. First and foremost, the thing that needs our inspiration, the things that we should just be caught up in, is the fact that Jesus is staying connected to people with frailties. Jesus is staying connected. These are really, really tactile. I mean, of all of the tactile uh, passages, this one is it, where Jesus is staying connected to a real person. And so there's two things. One is it's very, very tender. Right? And the other one has a little bit of repulsion. But either way, Jesus is staying connected to this man. First, the tender part. Jesus leads him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody walking a blind person. So a blind person will take you by the elbow and just be led in any direction that you'll lead them. 
or a seeing eye dog where the, the blind person is just going li- to just have to follow the leader. Or if you've gone to uh, camp, a blind hike or something like that where you need someone else to take you to the place that you can't see. And so Jesus very tenderly with his hands lays his hand and leads the man out of the village. The inspiration here, the beauty here is that Jesus comes and he wants to lead and he wants to use, embrace. Remember uh, Luke chapter 15 where we see the, the embrace of the Father. And it's with these hands that we have been connected. But it's not just tender. There's a little like something gross here where Jesus spits on him. So he leads him by the hand out of the village and when he had spit on his eyes. I don't know how this goes down. Right? And I'm certainly not going to ask you to spit on the person next to you, right? Because everybody would be grossed out. But that's kind of the point, right? And so if you start spitting on one another, everybody's going to go, ew, gross, don't do that again. I mean, whatever it is, right? Scott, don't spit on Trinity. It's not a way to start your marriage, right? That's not how you start a relationship, right? Brothers, don't spit on your sisters. You're going to get in time out or spanking my daddy. I mean, whatever it is, like community group leaders, don't walk in there. You wash feet maybe, but spitting on people, that's no way. But a complete stranger, yo, how are you? I'm Jesus. Let's go. I mean, this is, these are the moments in which Jesus is, I mean, he is real. I mean, this is the humanity of Jesus, real hands and a loogie. This is your Messiah, right? This is where you are being led into, right? And so, yes, we need the tender parts. But, I mean, he is breaking every stereotype known to man because he's different. He's totally different. And it's the difference that needs to inspire us. And so, yeah, it's a little bit, ew, right? But he's still, there's, some, there's a goal in mind. There's a goal in mind, and it really is amazing. There's a new kind of kingdom that Jesus is about to introduce. And the kingdom is about giving things away rather, rather than holding them to yourself. The new kingdom is about giving gifts away rather than this power grab of authority and power and success. Jesus, I don't know why he spits, but I do know that he has come to just break the stereotype in every way, to crush all of our thoughts so that he can let you know this is brand new. This is brand, brand new. It's not just there's a connectivity, right? It's good. He stayed connected. Proximity is amazing. But it is very, very personal. He takes him, this blind man, out of the village, away from his friends, and he takes him all by himself. And he starts to have a dialogue. There's not much teaching to go on here other than Jesus stays connected, but it's so very personal. And so when Jesus talks... And when Jesus lays his hands, and when Jesus at some point needs to take you away from your crowd, needs to take you away from your family, and just have a little one-on-one time with you and your infirmities, this is how Jesus touches us very, very personally. And he does so gladly. 
And so our inspiration of Jesus is that he is connected to us. He's so very personal to us. And so we need to be in awe of who Jesus is because of this. But the second part is that uh, every journey is not just awe-inspiring, right? Not just to see the beauty, but we actually need to know some kind of direction. We need to understand the process a little bit more than, than we have. And so here is, here's the process. So he takes the blind man by the hand and leads him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? And here's the response. And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Here's the process. Here's the direction. I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. This is interesting. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. And his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And so Jesus is obviously doing something here. There is some kind of process. There's some kind of direction. And if you thought the spit was weird, what about the trees? And so again, Jesus is just, I mean, there's a, he's detonating a bomb and just blowing it all up just to get all of our attention. If you thought the, weird, the spit was something to catch your attention, a blind man talking about trees is even cooler. And so we need to understand that these people, all right, that he's looking at, he looks like he's probably up on a hill overseeing the village or something like that. There's still enough light, daylight or something where he's just able to see. Remember, he's a blind man, never seen anything before, never saw people, never saw trees, but somehow, voila, he knows the difference between the two, right? Ever thought about that? That's crazy. So, um, but he's looking over the village and he says, I see people walking around, but they look like trees, They look like trees. Things are just a little blurry. So when I can't read on Sundays mornings, right, I can't, I know that there's words, but man, I can't read them. My eyesight is really, really going. If you know an optometrist, optometrist, I need one. Um, But just this idea that there's these, these people walking, but there's blurry they're blurry or they're fuzzy or they're just just not crystal clear there's some misunderstanding here and so the process here is the fact is what is going on here why did Jesus have to take a second pass why is the word again in this passage this is so unlike Jesus did he mess up has he run out of power was he tired? Like, what is going on? This, the book, we have not seen this in the book of Mark so far. We've seen the word immediately happen over and over and over. Jesus on the move. I mean, he is just like breakneck speed. He's just moving. And here is the word again. And so just the very fact that it's in our text should make us pause because Jesus is just moving along. And so Jesus, what is going on here? Did he do something wrong? Did he mess up? Why the second miracle? We've seen Jesus do some amazing things. Do you remember when Jesus calmed the storm? A storm that was breaking in on the boat? Do you remember what Jesus does? He says three simple words, peace, be still. And guess what happened? Peace and stillness came. Authority. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. Guess what? Sins are forgiven. Paralytic stands, walks. 
He looks at a person with leprosy, right? Immediately cleansed. Demons exercised. Women, I mean, healed. I mean, immediately. Dead little girls immediately awakened. This is the power of Jesus and his authority and has come just at a moment's notice. So what's going on here? Has he run out of power? Did he do something wrong? Or is there something else? Can there be another solution? Maybe just maybe this too is a living parable. Maybe just maybe this is teaching us more than just blindness and sight to physical eyes. Maybe just maybe, maybe this is a, a living parable to teach us all about what life is really like. We've seen this before. We've seen living parables in the, in the, in this, in the gospel so far. Remember the peace, peace be still moment that happened to the waves? The very first person that they meet is a demoniac who is out of control and wild. And so where there is something that happens in kind of the, the natural world, it also needs to happen in the personal world. We've seen these living moments. Even last week where we, we had this definition of what is clean and what is not clean. And Jesus walks into the very context, into a house with a lady who is a Syrophoenician, who is a Gentile, who has, an unclean, who has a daughter with an unclean spirit. Everything that, that is the definition of unclean is in that picture. And Jesus just walks right on in because he is teaching with his life. In the same way, this is a living parable. Because we are too spiritually blind. And we need spiritual sight. And so yes, there is a real healing that happens here. But it's butted up against just the most important passage so far. It's just this definition of what discipleship is. And because it's right before the definition of dis discipleship, this is a parable or this is a healing, not just for the blind man, but for all of us who call Jesus Lord, this is for discipleship's sake. That we have to go from blindness to clarity. But before we get there, it's going to be all kinds of crazy. This is a way to teach us what it means to walk with Jesus. Before you go from blind to clarity, oftentimes you have to go from blind. There's a next step. And that next step is a little unclear and a little blurry, and a little bit wrong. And Jesus is saying, that's okay. We are all in process. The 25-year-old me looked at the world very differently than the 41-year-old me. The 25-year-old me understood marriage very, very differently than the 41-year-old me. The 25-year-old me and the understanding of the gospel and grace very differently than the 41-year-old me. Sometimes you just don't know. Sometimes you're in process. Sometimes things are just a little unclear. A thousand times in our life we'll say, man, I thought I understood that, but now I see a little differently, and that's okay. 
So the process or the direction or the way that the banks of a river that Jesus is trying to just let us know is that there's going to be a process. And most of the time, the process is going to look a little blurry. It's going to be a little bit off. You kind of get it, but you kind of don't at the same time. And so this double miracle is for us. Jesus quickly says to Peter and his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say? You circle that phrase. Who do you say? Because this is about the disciples. It's about very personally, who do you say? And Jesus is about to let everybody know you're gonna have to go through this process. You're gonna have to go through the things that are just a little bit unsettling before you get to clarity. In a kind of name it and claim it in an instantaneous world, we want to get there. We want clarity immediately. And Jesus says there's going to be a process. And more often than, time, more often than not, it's going to take some time to get there. G- Peter responded right away. So who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. And immediately Jesus says, don't tell anybody the answer. Why is that? Because he only knew halfway. His understanding of the Christ was very, very differently than the real definition of Christ. He had to go through a process. And do you know what happened with with Peter? In this murky and in this fuzzy and this blurry kind of unfocused world, he was rebuked. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. This is a tender moment with Jesus but also a reminder that in this process, there will be rebukes because he wants us to grow and he wants us to learn. So far, Jesus in this gospel has not given us a moral mandate. This is a very different gospel than even the gospel of Matthew that very, very early gives us some kind of moral mandates and then some beatitudes and some teachings on how you are to live this life. For whatever reason, When Peter is helping Mark write this gospel, it is important for his readers to realize that what the one mandate is, is to continue to follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, sometimes you're gonna get it right and sometimes you're gonna get it wrong. And Jesus is saying for you and I, it is okay. It's gonna be a process. And so this is a passage as much as anything is about grace about the idea that you and I are gonna mature and that's a great thing and we're gonna grow up and that's a good thing and we're gonna mess things up. We're gonna get rebuked by Jesus and then it's gonna be a course correction and that's okay. For this sterilized Christianity where you've got to have it all together, there, this is not what's in this passage. It's more of a process for just following Jesus wherever he leads us. And so whether it's a tender moment or a downright rebuke, Jesus is trying to get to our hearts to focus on him and him alone. The first thing that Jesus tells his disciples, he says, follow me, drop your nets, follow me. And then there's this little phrase, for I will make you fishers of men. And that's what Jesus is like, he has to do. That is his job is to make you fishers of men, to make you to become something else. So far, it's been eight chapters and a couple of years possibly, and they're still not made. 
I just want to take the pressure off this morning and to say, we're all in process. Let's keep on being made. Let's continue to follow after Jesus. Because at the, just the core of Christianity, Christianity is not about what you do for Jesus. Christianity is not your end of the bargain and what you are expected to do for Jesus. Instead, the very nugget and the heart of Christianity is what Jesus has done for you. So follow gladly out of the overflow of your heart of what he has done for you and that'll keep your steps going forward and forward and forward. It's not what I gotta do, it's what I get to do because we follow the the lordship and the leader, the one who promises us, us life and life to the full. This is a follow me gospel. And so we want to continue step after step after step to follow after Jesus. And so this transition from blindness to blurry and then from blurry to clear may take a little time. So if things are just a little bit up in the air, continue to follow Jesus. We can go see counselors. We can try to join another community group. We can try to be more disciplined or go to the gym. We can do all this stuff that motion will fall incomplete. At the end of the day, if that's the reason, it'll all fall apart. Jesus is begging us to follow him. And so what's the aim or the goal? And after outright rebuking Peter, he calls the disciples to himself, and this is verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, they said to him, here's the goal, here's the aim. If anyone to come after me, put that in brackets, that's a follow me gospel. If anyone is to drop their nets, follow me. If anyone to repent and believe, these are the messages. If anyone come after me, let him, and here's the direction, here's the goal, here's the aim. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There it is once again. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. So what is the aim or what's the goal? Who do you say that I am? This is about them following after Jesus. And this after me and this follow me and for my sake kind of gospel is the fact, the goal is that there is a process and that process is to follow after Jesus. And so what's our inspiration? And what's the process And what's the goal? Jesus. What's our inspiration? Jesus. What's the process? Jesus. What's the aim or the goal? It's Jesus. Over and over and over, this, all three in one, to deny yourself and to follow me. This is where clarity comes. Not in holding yourself up, but to give your life away. Not to like make yourself right or prove yourself right, but to deny yourself. Not to try to make life your own, but to give it away. Clarity comes by denial and following after Jesus in the path of the cross. This is what life looks like. More like denial than anything else. And so we're coming to an end of a journey. An end of the journey for 
the five of us on the last day of our hike. We put in the probably the largest or the longest mileage um, of the whole trip, and we were just ready to be done with it. So we just pushed it a little harder, went a little longer. And we even, we were, we were going to have to hike in the middle of the night to actually get to the end of the trail. And so we're already we're our 12 miles into a pretty long hike. We still got four or five left to go. I mean, the sun is setting. We're going to be hiking in the dark. It's, it's, just, it's just the worst. We're all, I mean, we're beat. This is at the end of the trip. We've all got blisters. The, the pack's too heavy. We're like grouchy. And it's just, it's these types of things. We know that we're descending into Yosemite uh, uh, National Forest with our park, which they say is the most gorgeous place on planet Earth. I have no way to have seen all of planet Earth, but it's pretty awesome. So we're, we know that we're descending into Yosemite, which is kind of the, the aim, the goal. This is where we're going to go is we're going we're gonna to see this. This was where we're going, but we're, I mean, we're not, we're not in a great place. We're tired, we're hungry, we're blistered. We're, I mean, we're just exhausted. We've already put in 12, we could, we already, we've got four more to go. The sun is setting, we're gonna have to hike at night. So we, as we, before we descend in, we hear this, this roaring of, of waters. And um, we're like, ah, that's cool. And you could kind of see this flat spot in the forest and it was pretty wide. And then you, you saw kind of the first kind of man-made stuff we'd seen in days. We kind of see a bridge and we see this wide kind of, this, this water kind of get funneled in underneath the bridge. We're like, that's nice. So we go over the bridge, we take some pictures because it's obviously the mouth of, of something. We continue on and not even an eighth of a mile. And we turn around and we look and it's Nevada Falls, one of the most glorious, you know, places in Yosemite is this place where, this, where literally, I mean, there's this huge descent, a massive um, uh, waterfall, and it just descends, and we just stop, and our eyes get big, and we can't stop staring. And then we start smiling, and then we start laughing and giggling and taking pictures what didn't happen was complaining. What our mind was on was not the blisters. We still had our packs on, but they were, they were like they were no weight whatsoever. You see, in that moment, I learned a lifelong lesson of what I call the expulsive powers of beauty over pain. The expulsive powers of beauty over pain. In that moment, all we could see and all we were consumed with was the beauty of a sunset hitting Nevada Falls. It may have been the prettiest thing that we had seen, and this is 10 days into the trip. And all of the blisters and all the pain of the, the weight and all the misery just vanquished. Now, did the things really go away? No, we still had blisters. We still had a pack on. We still miss our families like crazy. But in that moment, there's an expulsive power of beauty over pain. And so when Jesus says to deny yourself and to take up your cross, that looks like pain. But then he says, and follow me. There's an expulsive power of the beauty of the cross and the beauty of Jesus that will make everything disappear. It'll make it feel like it's nothing. The weight of this world will weigh you down. The way of the cross will simply redefine your life altogether.
Set your mind not on the things of God, Jesus says, but set your mind on the things of God. And the pathway to life is through denial and the cross of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, some of us need the expulsive power of beauty over pain this morning. We need to see something lovely. We want to see something beautiful. We want to stop in our tracks. We want our awe and awe to come back to our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, for turning to lesser things without first and foremost turning to you and you alone. What we need to set our minds on, what we need to fix our eyes on is Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm pretty sure that this is a a morning of just full-fledged repentance all across the board. Or middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students and men and women and couples that we need to feel the weight of putting our eyes and our minds on lesser things. I'm gonna create a space and just let you deal with the Lord and let the Lord deal with you in however way that he sees fit. Jesus, we're sorry that we don't put our, our mind on you. And Jesus, we're so very sorry that lesser things and temporal things get our attention. But thank you so much for your gospel that will not let us sit there or remain there. But the gospel is what overwhelms us and what Jesus, what you have done for us. This is a process where we're gonna stumble and we're gonna look to lesser things and you're gonna continue to be present and you're gonna continue to be merciful and forgiving, sometimes rebuking, but you're never going to leave us or forsake us. For I will be with you always, Jesus says. Thank you, Jesus. Even in our seasons of unclarity, where things are dimly lit, that you never leave us or forsake us. And so help our imaginations and help our hearts and help our minds to continue to be fixed on what Jesus, what you have done for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And so Jesus, in his own wisdom, has asked us to put our eyes on this moment and on this meal. For us to get clarity is to understand that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a piece of bread, he broke it, and he says, this is my life, this is my body given for you. And so if things get unclear, if things just get a little blurry, come back to the table, come back, and this is what we need, we need a picture, we need a living parable every single day or every single week to tell us to look at what Jesus has done for us. It's not on us to be the broken one. It was for him. We need to be reminded of that. And in the same way, he then takes a chalice of wine. He says, this is the blood of a new covenant that will be poured out for you. And then he says, for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus is not afraid of your sin or mine. 
He has actually come to take it, to absorb it, to pour out his life for it. We are all in process. And so week in and week out, we do not lift up our name. We lift up the name of Jesus. And we come around a table like this to say, Jesus, you rock, even though I am miserable. Jesus, your name to be lifted up, even though I have done everything in my power to make my name great this week. And so this is the picture. This is the living parable that we need to be reminded that it's all about Jesus. So there are men that are around the room, gonna be on the four uh, corners of the room. I'll be up front and we'll be serving you a meal. Come and partake it however you want. Um, also, we have some, some people that would love to pray with you. And so we have both males and females back there that would love to pray with you. If you're just stuck and you just feel like you're just, you, you need someone to help, the community of people to have faith on your behalf, just use the prayer corner. They're back there and they want to, and they long to pray with you during this moment. So as we're all moving, you know, we're all kind of responding in, in some way. So you can come and partake or you can go and ask for prayer. Either or both are fine. Just know that we want you to have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus, not a stagnant one. So go ahead and stand. And just know that these stations are open to serve you. However, uh, or whenever you want, we'll be uh, playing some music up front. So just don't feel rushed. But yeah, these stations are open. Thank you.